So we pray that you would speak your word into all of our hearts today, words of encouragement and strength. Lord, and we just ask that you would fulfill your highest purposes in making us a people that know how to walk in a conversational relationship with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. Thank you, Izzy. You know, there was this guy, and this was before there were refrigerators, and he used an ice house to preserve his food. In fact, ice houses had these thick walls, they had no windows, a very tightly fitted door. And in the winter, what they would do is they'd go out to streams and lakes, and they would, they'd cut out these giant blocks of ice. Then they'd bring them into the ice houses, and they'd cover the ice in sawdust, and the ice would oftentimes last all the way uh, into the summer. Well, this guy was working in his ice house, and he lost a very valuable watch. And so they began to look for that watch. He had some friends help him search for it. I mean, they're just going all through the sawdust trying to find this watch, but they couldn't find it. And so it was, uh, they went and took a break uh, for lunch. And as they were taking their lunch break, a small boy walks into this ice house. And after just a little while, comes out of the ice house with the watch. And so the men who were unable to find it before said, what did you do? How did you find it? And the little boy said, well, I closed the door. I lay down in the sawdust and I kept very still. And soon, I heard the watch ticking. You know, sometimes we overlook the obvious solution in a situation. And I think sometimes we do that in our spiritual lives. I mean, those who would like to hear the voice of God need to realize there are some obvious things we need to do. There's some obvious things that we need to kind of get right if we want to develop a conversational relationship with God. You know, being close to God means nearness to him means communicating with him. And communicating with him is almost always a two-way street. We speak to God in prayer, worship, but he speaks back to us. And this, and he really wants us to have this kind of conversational relationship with him. And learning how to hear God, by the way, is much more becoming comfortable in this maturing conversational relationship that we that is available to each one of us. It's much more that than it is, you know, turning God into some type of cosmic bellhop every once in a while. That we just want him to come through and give us get us out of a jam. Or tell us what to do in a, in a big decision. It's so important that we understand that really God's original intention of making people was he, his original intention has been that he would have a conversational relationship with the people that he's made. That has always been what he's wanted. And really, it's, that's made quite clear throughout the Bible. And I want you to notice, uh, even, I'm going to just take a couple places in the Bible and point out a few passages to you. I want to go back to the time where Moses is leading the people of Israel uh, into the wilderness as they were headed toward the promised land. And of course, because of their unbelief, they are wandering the wilderness until the unbelief has died off. And in the process of this, God still wants to hang out with them. So he really, he actually uh, develops what is called the tabernacle gives them instruction for how to, how to uh, construct the uh, tabernacle, so with a goal that he would meet with them. Here's what it says. Exodus chapter 29, verse 43, about the tabernacle, about the people of Israel in the wilderness. He said, I will meet there, talking about the tabernacle when you construct it, I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory, and I will consecrate the tent of of meeting in the altar, and I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. Verse 45, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. 
I am the Lord their God. God has always wanted this. He's always wanted to hang out with his people, to be to dwell with them, to com- commune with them. And of course, we're all familiar with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Here we have this sheep and shepherd relationship. The Lord is my shepherd, David says, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me. He guides me. In paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, this is the sentiment. This is the heart of God toward his people, toward us. I mean, Jesus points this out, John 15, 15, No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. In fact, it's actually been this way from the very beginning. When God creates Adam and Eve, and they are in the Garden of Eden, God is having a conversational relationship with them in the garden. That was his intention from the beginning. That's how it all started. That's how it was meant to be. But then something happened that ruined ruined all that. You know, when Adam and Eve mistrusted God and then disobeyed him, they were cut off from this level of conversational communion with him in the garden. They were cut off from that. And they actually, at that time, biblically became dead in relation to the realm of the spirit. Much as a kitten is dead to arithmetic. Remember what God said? God said that if you eat from the forbidden tree, he said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Right? You shall surely die. And they did. Now, biologically, they continued to live, right? Biologically, psychologically, they continued to live. But they ceased to have this conversational relationship with God in the garden. They were expelled from the garden. They lost their, this intimate communion that they had with God in the garden. They lost it. But God does not, God wants it restored. So even before you leave Genesis chapter 3, God is already promising that a deliverer will come. A deliverer is going to come. And when he comes, he's going to do what? He's going to ultimately restore communion between God and man. That is the the goal. He's going to restore what was lost. And so this deliverer does come. Jesus comes and he does exactly what was promised. And how does he do this? Well, what he does is Jesus comes and he makes a way for people to be born again. Or born from above. Why? Because there has to be something so radical to restore what is lost that it is going to have to be a new birth, a spiritual birth to do this. What this would do, this would enable people who are now born of the Spirit to be able to be alive to God and alive to the spiritual realm again. And actually come back into a conversational relationship with God. Remember, Jesus talked about how everyone is naturally born. In John chapter 3, verse 5, he talks about being born of water. You know, when a a woman, before she has a baby, her water breaks, and there is the birth of a baby. This is the natural birth. This, so, so everyone is born alive biologically and psychologically, born in the natural realm. But they're also, according to the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, they're also dead in their trespasses and sins. So they are biologically alive, psychologically alive, but they are dead. In what kind of way? They're dead in their trespasses and sin. They are dead 
to communicating to the, in the spiritual realm. Just like my dog is dead to understanding math. My dog is not dead, but he's dead to math. You know, I, I can remember I've had several conversations over the years with guys who've had a couple PhDs and are so brilliant in so many areas. But as soon as your discussion moves to the spiritual realm, they are dead to it. They cannot comprehend it. It makes no sense to them. They sound so ignorant in it. Why? Because they're dead to it. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're dead to being able to the spiritual realm. They can't, they can't really be alive to that spiritual realm unless they're born by the Spirit so they can be alive to the spiritual realm. They're dead to this. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. I, mean, I talked to my father for 35 years before he became a Christian, you know, months before he died. But every conversation, my dad is one of the smartest men I ever knew. But anytime it came to a spiritual conversation, he was dead to it. I mean, it was just, it was just incomprehensible to him. Because he was dead in his trespasses and sins. Same thing with my older brother. About 20 years before he became a Christian, now he's a leader in his church, well, one of the leaders in this church. To my mother, same thing. About 25 years. And many, many others where you're having a conversation with them and you're like, there's like this, this total deadness in their understanding. Why? It's because they are dead to this. They're dead in their trespasses and their sins. And so what has to happen? What has to happen? Because not only they're dead to the trespass and sin, but Ephesians 2.12 goes on and says, having no hope and without God in the world. That's an important phrase. Without God in the world. They are not they cannot have a conversation relationship with God. They're without God because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. So what has to happen? Only one thing can solve it. They have to be born again. They have to be born by the Spirit. They've been born in the natural realm. They've got to be born spiritually. They've got to be born from above. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus this. And by the way, being born again doesn't just mean that you repeat something you've already done. He's not saying you need to be born again naturally. Being born again also doesn't mean that you, can, you, you need to start over. I just, I'm getting a fresh start. I'm going back to the way, you know, starting over. That's not what it means to be born again. To be born again, to be born from above, means that you've been, been born by the Spirit of God, and you now have access to a spiritual kingdom. You can now actually begin to relate to God now because that arena, that life has been opened to you now. I want you to imagine just for a moment a normal kitten. You, some of you like cats. I can't say I have that same feeling. But just imagine that you have a normal kitten at home. And one day you come home and your kitten has learned to appreciate and compose poetry. Would you find that odd? Without the new birth spiritually, we cannot recognize God's workings. We cannot communicate with God, understand God. We're like kittens. Dead in our trespasses, sin. What are we dead to? We're like a kitten's dead to poetry. We're dead to the spiritual realm until what? Until you're born again. Until you're born again. And when you're born again, now you now can experience a different kind of life that you could not experience before that happened. You could not. It's not that you would not. You could not. Now, remember, life is a definite range of activities and experiences. That's life. Well, the spiritually born can now experience life where they can encounter the spiritual realm and can communicate with God. In high school, I wasn't a Christian, and I still remember having a conversation uh, at my high school with, with two Christian girls who 
We're talking with each other about spiritual things. And I wanted to join in the conversation. And I wasn't invited to join the conversation, but I just jumped in it. Jumped in the conversation. And finally, at one, time, at one point, one of the girls looked at me and says, Gary, you can't understand this. And it really offended me. Because in my mind, I thought she was saying I wasn't intelligent enough to understand this conversation. But this, it was not about intelligence. That's what, not what it was. I did not have the capacity at that point to understand what they were saying to each other. I mean, I can understand the word, each word. I understood the English language, but I could not enter into the realm of this conversation with understanding and comprehension because I didn't have the capacity to do that because I wasn't born again. Not at that point. And so the first thing that must happen in order for someone to develop a conversational relationship with God is they must be born again. Now, some of us are thinking, well, duh. But I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure there's probably someone in this room that's not born again. Some online that aren't born again. And that are intrigued by this idea of a conversation relationship with God. And I want you to know you cannot have it unless you're born again. You can't. You can't have it. But if you're born again, you can. And so, how is someone born again? Well, here's what Jesus says in John chapter 1, verse 12. Well, then Jesus, you know, this is said in John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So if you're saying, well, I've, never, I've not done this, I've not really turned to Jesus and believed in him as the Savior and Lord of my life, but I want to do that, then you can be born again by doing that. If you haven't yet done that, I'd encourage you not to leave this building without doing that. If you're online, I would, I would encourage you to, to, to make sure you understand as clearly to, to call up to the church or come up and see us or be in one of our meetings and do that. But we're going to have some leaders up front, some leader couples up front, and you're saying, I'm not sure I got this got this, I want to have a relationship with God, but I'm not sure I'm born again. Come up and talk to one of our leaders and let them make sure you understand and lead you through uh, prayer on this. So that's the first thing, the very first thing. And I want, to, I want to make sure we cover the obvious in developing a conversational relationship with God. The first thing we got to make sure is that we're born again. Because if we're not, we can't do it. All right, second thing. The second thing we must do in order to develop a conversational relationship with God is to be quick to confess any sin as soon as it comes to mind. So here's the deal. When, even after you're born again, if, when you, we sin against God, we do offend him. Like in any personal relationship, we've all experienced it where we've sinned against somebody and it has offended them and it's caused a problem in our relationship. But when we own up to the offense and confess it, to them, we apologize and we reconcile, then we can go back on with that friendship. Well, it's very similar in our relationship with God. When, we, when we've sinned against him, we need to own up to that sin. Confess it, humble ourselves, and come to him you know, for forgiveness so we can continue to walk in a conversational relationship with God. Now, King David, when he sinned and was not owning up to this sin, he actually writes about what he went through in Psalm chapter 30, Psalm 32. So I want us to look at this because he's writing about an interruption in a friendship with God. Here's what he writes, Psalm 32, verse 1. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. So he's not hiding it anymore. I acknowledged it. My iniquity I did not hide. So he's owning up to it. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So what's the point here so far? The main point, I think, of verses 1 and 2 is that to be forgiven is a very happy condition. But more than that, verse 3 through 5, he tells us here that to attain this happy state, what do we do? First, negatively, don't try to conceal your sin. And then positively, acknowledge it to God, confess it to God. So the point is that the person who does not conceal his sin but confesses it to God finds tremendous happiness because they walk in forgiveness and peace and clear conscience and this relationship with God. They're walking in this communion. Notice what he says, look, notice what he says next, verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. So the man who prays and confesses his sin is blessed not only because God does not, what he does not do, God does not impute iniquity to him, but also he's blessed by what God does do. God preserves him from trouble, surrounds him with songs of deliverance. So God is not only not against him anymore because he's offended him, but God is actually for him. But now I want you to notice verse 8. In verse 8, it's like God takes the pen in his own hand and is going to write verse 8 himself. Here's what he says. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So he's promising, I'm not only going to protect you, but I'm going to guide you and counsel you. There's not only a blessing of being surrounded with songs of deliverance and the protection of God, but he is going to bless the person who walks like that with him with communion and a conversational relationship. He's going to guide that person. I mean, what good would it be? What good would it be if, if God guarded me from danger but didn't guide me? Obviously, he has to guide me as well. So he offers us, now he's offering not only protection, but direction here. He's offering care with counsel. And that's the happy condition of the person who doesn't hide their sin from God, doesn't walk in, you know, as obstinate God, but confesses it and walks with no one confessed sin with God. So I think the main point in verses 1 through 8 is that all godly people should pray and confess their sin to God in a time when he may be found as incentives, God says he's going to, you know, he's going to give, forgive you, protect you, and direct you. But then he goes on to say this, verse 9. Notice this, Psalm 39, verse 32, verse 9. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. Don't be like that. Don't be that way. Don't be stubborn and obstinate, having your own way, refusing to humble yourself and come to God in repentance and confession. Don't be like that. Don't dig in your heels. Don't be like that. It's almost like I, I want you to picture uh, people kind of like uh, as animals in a farmyard for a moment. And God has all kinds of animals in the farmyard, and he cares for all his animals, and he shows them where they need to go. He made this barn. He wants them to go in the barn, and the way he wants to lead them is to, to teach them their name and to call them by name and have them and just have them go in the barn. That's the way he wants to do it. That's the way he wants to lead his people. He says in Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. That's how he wants it to be. But let's say one of the animals is a mule, stubborn. And he's out in the field, and even though God's calling him to come in, he doesn't want to come in. He just gets stiff-legged, refuses to come in. So what does God have to do? Well, God gets the pickup truck, drives out, 
puts a bit and bridle on the mule, ties it to the pickup truck, and drags them back to the barn with the mule just digging in the whole way. See, God doesn't want to lead his people like that. He basically says, so don't be like the mule. Don't be like the mule. Instead, he wants everyone to be able to be quick to pray and humble yourself, confess sin when we fall into sin. And, and no, one's, no, one's, no one lives without sin. No one lives perfectly. And so even as a Christian, when you, when you fall, be quick to confess it and keep that relationship with God, that conversational communion with God qu- close. So the first thing we must happen if we're going to develop a conversational relationship with God, we must be born again. Number two, the second thing we must do in order to develop a conversational relationship with God is to not be stubborn and obstinate and rebellious. Not digging our feet in, but rather be quick to humble yourself and confess sin. As soon as God shows it to you, just confess it quick. The third thing, the third thing we must do in order to develop a conversational relationship with God is change the way we think. Let me ask you this. When trouble comes, when trouble comes into your life, let's say you have a car problem. Or let's say you have a dispute with somebody in your family or at work. How long does it take you before you get around to bringing it to God in prayer? You see an accident, you're driving down the road, there's an accident, and the lane's going the other direction, an ambulance is coming. Do you even think to bring those concerned people, even if you don't know them, to God in prayer? Does that even cross your mind? Let's say you have a meeting with somebody, for whatever reason you're having this meeting. Do you go to this meeting in a spirit of prayer, asking God, how you might minister to them or how they might minister to you. Do you even think about praying about that meeting? Does it even cross your mind? When you're alone, do you constantly recognize that you're all, even though you're alone, that God is with you? He's present right there. Does that even come to mind? You know, if you take a, a, a compass, it always points north, no matter how you turn it. It's always pointed north. But then you put it by something a magnet, something magnetic, magnet, and then all of a sudden it's not pointing north, it points toward the magnetic force. Then as soon as you move it away the magnet, it goes back to north. So when you're not intensely focused on something, does your mind go right back to God? See, we have to change the way we think. If we want to be in a conversational relationship with God, we're going to have to change the way we think. We're, we can't just clock in and clock out. If, if you really want a conversational relationship with God, we change the way we think. And it's a radical thing to think this way. You begin to think this way. Okay, Lord, Jesus, you said in John 10, 27, here's what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Okay, so I'm a sheep. And if I'm following you, that, that means I'm really doing what I do for your purposes. For your glory. So I got to start thinking differently. I got to think differently about where I go and what I do. There was a time in my life I, I did this, you know, I started doing this when I was in the mission field. And that was I, every, every, I was, every day I'd say, okay, I'd ask the question. Wherever I was, I'd say, Lord, what are you doing here? And how could you use me to help? I just ingrained that question. What are you doing here? And how can you use me to help? And it really impacted the way I, my thinking. What are you doing here, Lord? How can you use me to help? But I also want to make a, a confession here about this because I've lived probably most of my Christian life, I've lived it in categories. What I mean by that is there are times I want to be in a conversational relationship with God, and then there's times I want to clock out because I'm thinking that, Lord, if I am continuing this conversation relationship with you in this situation, I know you're going to want me to go love this person, and I'm just tired of loving people today. <laughs> or I know you're going to want me to go and pray for that person. I don't want to pray for anyone else today. Am I the only one that ever thinks this way? 
Now, here's the problem. Here's where that thinking is wrong. God is not a harsh taskmaster. He knows what we can bear. He's never going to have us do something we, that we can't bear with his help and grace. I can trust him. Even when I, don't, even when I, I really, in my own emotional state, sometimes want to clock out, say, Lord, I just I got to veg for a while. I know there's a need over here, but you know you have to send somebody else. But say, Lord, if, you're, if you want me to do something, I'll do it, because I know there's enough grace and strength to do it. See, I think we got to change the way that we think about, about God and about our life if we really want to develop a conversation or relationship with him. But it's possible. It's available for all of us. But we're going to have to change the way we think. So number one, we got to be born again. Or we can't have this. Number two, we need to walk. Don't walk in any unconfessed sin. Be quick to confess sin. Restore that, 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 that friendship with God. That, 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 you know, remove that offense by, by confessing it. And third, third thing, we, we need to really you know, change the way we think. And I would just encourage you, I would challenge you to try to live with that. Try to, try to do one whole day with that statement. Lord, what are you doing here and how can you use me to help? Try to do one whole day with that. Try Monday. So I'm going to live Monday with that statement. What are you doing here? Wherever you work, school, whatever you're doing, what are you doing here in this situation? How can you use me to help? And see what happens. I think you're going to be amazed at what happens. Well, there's a fourth thing. The fourth thing that we must do in order to develop a conversational relationship with God is we need to get into the Bible and get the Bible into us. More of God speaking to me has come in conjunction with my study of the Bible and my meditation on the Word of God than anything else in my life. God, that's the number one way that God speaks to me is through His written Word. And His speaking most commonly occurs in conjunction when I'm actually reflecting on it. If I take a passage, I've studied it, and I'm meditating on it, as I'm, as I'm meditating on it and chewing on it, I mean, God consistently will speak to me through that passage. Now, the sad reality is that most people really aren't, don't seriously want to hear what God has to say to them. That's the reality. Most people really do not want to hear what God has, wants to say to them. And you know what? And, and the proof of that is how rarely they will listen to his voice how really they want to hear from him unless they're in trouble or they're in a jam or they need to make a decision or that they don't know how to handle. See, our failure to hear his voice when we want to is due to the fact that we do not in general want to hear it. Only when we need something. See, usually those who want a word from God when they're in trouble, when they're finally in a situation, I need a word from you, Lord. Usually, if, if that's the only time you're looking to hear from him, you're probably not going to hear from him. You might, but you probably won't. I think because if, if first and foremost, I don't want to hear God in general through his word, then at heart, I only really want to hear him if I'm in trouble, then I'm probably not going to hear from him when I am in trouble. Also, another thing too, anyone who rejects God's general voice to us through his word does not really want to be guided by him anyway. Think about that. See, if I don't really want what he says for my life in the word of God, but I want you to guide me other ways, really, I don't want you to guide me because I reject your word. So the person who would say no to the word, written word of God is already saying no to the guidance of God. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's so important. For example... Let me just take something that I know people wrestle with all the time in churches, and that is whether or not they're going to obey the Lord in tithing. The word tithe means a tenth part. The Bible teaches the tithe is holy unto the Lord. And so here it is. A person who does not tithe is praying to God for direction on their finances. Well, they've already proven they don't want his guidance on their finances because they reject what he says to do with their finances. So how can you say, I reject what you say about what to do with my finances, but Lord, would you help me with my finances? 
It doesn't work this way. We really need to be those who get the Bible into us and we do what it says. And it's amazing how many times God's going to speak to his word, but also we've already shown to God that we, will do, we want, to, want to be guided by him. So you're going to hear, you will get, receive guidance from him in addition to what you're getting through the written word. So that's so important. The fourth thing, get the Bible into you. You get in the Bible, get the Bible into you, and then do what the Bible says. All right, number five. The fifth thing we must do is we want to have a conversation relationship with the Lord is to listen to his still, small voice that usually comes to us as impressions of the Spirit. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. This is King James Version. But he, Lord, but he, Lord, was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And then God speaks that way. A lot of times I think people just think God's going to speak in the spectacular or he doesn't speak at all. When God tends to whisper in general. Here's the thing about a still small voice is that it's usually unremarkable, inconspicuous, and unassuming, and perhaps not immediately noticed. See, oftentimes... The still small voice of God comes to us as our thoughts, though these thoughts are not from us. Here's what it says in Proverbs 20, verse 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. Think about that. The spirit, your spirit, your spirit. I'm talking about your body. I'm not talking about your mind right now. I'm talking about your spirit. Your spirit is the lamp of the Lord. And he can put a fire right there and light that lamp right in your spirit. See, God can, God can speak directly in our spirit since, we're, since our spirit is a lamp of the Lord and bypass having to speak audibly, bypass the whole physical realm altogether and go right there and speak. Unfortunately, this gentle kind of low-key word is so easily overlooked and disregarded because it is not dramatic. I really believe this. My personal conviction is God usually addresses individuals who are walking him in a more and more mature way with this inner voice. Of course, I'm assuming you're following the written word of God, but this inner voice, and more and more of this conversational relationship as we mature in him. Do you remember when little boy Samuel in 1 Samuel 3, God spoke to him and he didn't know what it was? He ran to Eli. Remember that story? He didn't know what that was. See, you don't automatically know the voice of God. But if we learn how to listen to God, he'll also, I, I think, he, he'll tell us when, when we're praying about something and it's not happening the way that we, we kind of expected or hoped for, he will actually tell us why it didn't happen that way. He'll explain it to us in a way. I mean, that's what he does with Apostle Paul and his thorn in the flesh, remember? I begged, I beseeched three times to remove this thorn in the flesh. And then God says, God answers why he doesn't answer that prayer that way. He says, my grace will be sufficient to you for my strength to be perfected in weakness. And so God answers him. When, uh, 22 years ago, you know, I had I, I pushed and pushed and pushed so hard uh, in, in ministry, and, 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 and I did a lot of it, obviously, in my own strength and a lot of I was doing a lot of ministry I didn't have grace on me to do and I was pushing and pushing and I was just I was fasting longer I was sleeping less and I was I was just pressing hard and I ended up in the hospital 
And after that, I went out into the woods and had like a three-hour crying out session with God. I said, Lord, I'm not leaving these woods until you tell me what I did wrong. And after three hours, he spoke to me. It was an audible voice. He spoke right in my spirit, and it was crystal clear to me what he said. And here's what he said. He said, I do not want people knowing how strong you are for me. I want people to know how strong I am for you. And I was busted, but in a good, loving, kind way. Because he's right. Of course, God's always right, but I mean, it's just like that's exactly. You know, I, I, I backed off and thought, was there anything else he could have said that would have been more clear and more right for me to hear at that moment than that statement? And I couldn't think of anything. Now, you might be thinking, now, Gary, this is all real subjective stuff you're talking about here. You know, I just don't know about all this. Here's what I would offer you. Those of you that right now are, are kind of saying, this, is, this, this part here, I was, kind of, I was okay with some of your points, but here, this is too subjective. I'd say, I want you to think about those disciples after Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus met two disciples on the road to Emmaus, remember? Emmaus, and, he, and as, he, as he's met them, he he's talks to them, but they didn't immediately recognize him. Remember the story? They didn't immediately recognize him with their eyes. But here's what it says, Luke 24, verse 32. Here's what they say after he leaves them. They say this to each other. They say, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? while he was opening the scriptures to us? So what are they saying? I think they're saying, you know, they began to recall that before when they were with him, their hearts would burn when he would speak. Kind of a Jesus heartburn. Their hearts would burn. They would, there would be this inward life. And I think they're saying, you know, why do we not recognize him from the way his words were impacting us like they used to? Before we even recognize him by sight, we should have recognized that was him by the way his words were impacting our hearts. See, so Jesus is still walking with his disciples. Remember, and I'll paraphrase, he says, I'm with you every minute until the job is done, Great Commission. He's still with us. He still speaks to us. We're his sheep. We hear his voice. And there is a certain burning characteristic when he's speaking that we know. There's a quality of his voice. There's a quality that's different than my subconsciousness. It's different. There's a, there's a weightiness to it. You know, and there's a certain content. And I, and I described it some weeks ago. It's like taking a, a ball, rubber ball filled with air and pushing it to the bottom of a swimming pool and how it pops up. You push it down and get it pops up. There's certain impressions it's that, that you can push down and they just go away. But then there's, when it's the voice of the Lord, you push it down and it just pops back up. Push it down. Oh, Lord, I don't know about that. It pops back up. See, the truth is God sometimes speaks to us in our thoughts. And you say, where do you get that from the Bible? Here's where I get it from. Amos chapter 4, verse 13. He says, he who forms the mountains, who's that? That's God. Who creates the wind, who's that? That's God. And who reveals his thoughts to mankind. He turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. Who's this? That's the Lord God Almighty. That's who it is. See, we can distinguish between the voice of God and the voice of our own subconscious. Dallas Willard, in his book entitled Hearing God, says this, The voice of the subconscious, argue, your subconscious, argues with you, tries to convince you. But the inner voice of God does not argue, does not try to convince you. It just speaks. And it's self-authenticating. It has the feel of the voice of God within it. The voice of God speaking in our souls also bears within itself a characteristic spirit, it is a spirit of exalted peacefulness and confidence, of joy and of sweet reasonableness and of goodwill. His voice is not the voice of a bully. It will not run over you and your will. It is, in short, the spirit of Jesus. And that phrase, 
I refer to the overall tone and internal dynamics of his personal life, life of Jesus as a whole. Here's what it says. Remember James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first what? Pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering, without, without hypocrisy. That's how the still, small voice of God comes to me in an, in an impression. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's reasonable. It's full of mercy and good fruits, and there's not a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. You know, when they were, when they were signing uh, leases, when natural gas was real high, you know, in, before the bottom fell out, natural gas, people were all having signing leases and so they could drill under, they could be underneath your property. And, and the church property, we were all, you know, actually was not yet offered a lease. And uh, actually, the, the Lord just put it on my heart, call them. So I called them, said, we, we'd like to do a lease. In Chesapeake, uh, the guy said, okay, well, look, look, I, I can I'll come over here there to, in two days and we'll sign, I'll sign a lease and we'll do a bank draft. So in 30 days, the bank draft. And I said, okay. And then I thought about it and the Lord impressed, tell him to bring a check, not a bank draft. So I call him back and say, I, I will sign that lease, but you bring a check, not a bank draft. That waits 30 days that you can, you know, pull back on. So he says, let me check on that. He checks on it. He shows up in two days with a check for a quarter million dollars. We sign it. The next week, the bottom falls out of the natural gas market. <laughs> now, again, all that, that was just the Lord. You know, it wasn't, there's, there's no boasting from, on my part. I mean, all, all, God, God, God is just telling us what, tells us what to do. But when, but when we have that, it just comes as an impression. But the impression has a certain feel to it, a certain, you know, weight to it. And, and, there's, and, there's, and it's surrounded by reasonableness and, and all these kinds of things, and it bears much fruit. And so we're able to do all kinds of additional ministry, missions, and so forth because of that. All right, there's one last thing, and we'll stop. I know I'm a little late here, but there's one more thing that will confirm that indeed you're hearing God's voice. Number six, and that is the sixth thing that we must do if we're going to develop a conversational relationship with God is pay attention to our surrounding circumstances. God speaks through circumstances as well, such as in the life of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Would you say that those circumstances were speaking to Jonah? I think so. James Dobson once said, I get down on my knees and say, Lord, I need to know what you want me to do, and I'm listening. Please speak to me through my friends, books, magazines I pick up and read, and through my circumstances. See, when we ask God to speak to us, we should pay, pay attention to two things. Pay attention to your time in the Word, three things. Your time in the Word, pay attention to what's going on inside you, and what's going on around you. And those three things usually work together when God is speaking to you. My experience is those three, three, three things work together consistently when God is really speaking to me about something. My time in the Word, what's going on inside me, and what's going on around me. Let me say it again. My time in the Word, what's going on inside me, and what's going on around me. I want you to keep those three things in mind. You say, what if we do all that, and, and, and I'm not here from God still. Then say, Lord, is there anything in me keeping you from speaking to me? Show me. One time, the first time I went to Pakistan for a conference, I was going to be in an area where there was some, where there was some Taliban, and I was praying about whether you wanted me, God wanted me to go. I said, Lord, if you say go, I'll go. So I need to know for sure. And, and as I was praying about it. My time in the Word seemed to indicate that, he was, that I should you know, consider going. And, but then we were singing a song during a Sunday morning service. We are singing that song, So Will I. We got to that line, if the wind goes where you send it, so will I. And when I sang that out, it's like the Lord just said, I'm sending you to Pakistan. And I just began to have tears coming down my cheek as I'm singing that song because it was so clear to me at that moment. And all those things that worked together. And then God did some wonderful things there. And so spiritual people are not people who just engage in spiritual practices. That is not what makes a spiritual person. A spiritual person is one who's developing a conversational relationship with God. So, so that is our goal, all of us, to, go, to grow in that conversational relationship with God. We are Jesus' friends. We are part of the fellowship of the burning heart. 
And we really want to, to, to really begin to grow in this and, 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 and live out this adventure and not settle for less. Let's all stand for prayer. And by the way, March 1st, next Sunday, 5 p.m., we're going to have a special prophetic worship service and healing service here. And I encourage you to attend. We'll have child care. And just let us know, RSVP for that. But we're going to have a time to really focus on hearing God and also a time to pray for the sick. The next two Sundays I want to talk about uh, really the healing ministry uh, in the church today and what it really should look like and how we can all grow in that as well. Let's pray. Father, first we just close in prayer asking, Lord, if there's anyone here or anyone online that is not born again, Lord, we pray that this would be the day of their new birth. Lord, that they would just turn to you, Jesus, and ask you to be their Savior and their Lord. Lord, also pray for anyone here, Lord, who is somehow walking in rebellion, and they're digging their heels in, Lord, they're, they're obstinate, they're not confessing sin, Lord, that that, that that would be changed today, that they would humble themselves and repent and confess their sin and restore that relationship, Lord, today. And Lord, also, Lord, we pray that, that uh, you would enable us to change the way that we think, that we just begin to ask ourselves that question over and over again. What are you doing here, Lord, and how can you use me to help? But also we pray, Lord, that we would really meditate on your word, your written word, and you would speak to us through it, Lord, as you so desire to do, Lord. And Lord, we pray that too, that you would enable us to, to really start to listen to the still small voice of God, that we are, Lord, uh, the lamp or our spirits, the lamp of the Lord, that we would really learn to hear your voice and respond to your voice. And finally, Lord, we pay attention to our surroundings as well and see how the circumstances that surround us are also speaking to us. And Lord, just make us a people that really become more and more your friends. We ask you to help us do that in the name of Jesus. Now, before I dismiss you, we have Connection Coffee in this far corner. Our staff will answer any questions you might have. If this is your first Sunday, I'd love to meet you right here in this welcome corner. And there's going to be some leaders up here to be glad to pray for you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day, a great week.